Good morning. It really is good to be here and to see each of you. We have some guests. Welcome. We invite you to join in with us. Good to have you here. We also have a newbie. Uh, Jude has arrived at church, so welcome to Youngest Summers. And good to have Meredith back as well. It's Thanksgiving time. And today will not be a Thanksgiving message, but there is so much for which to be thankful. Uh, I was, uh, appreciate Luke 15. It's the lost and found chapter. Three different items that were lost and they were found. And that is a perfect description of any of us who have come to know the Lord and come back into his family after having been out of it. Uh, which lost humanity is out of that family and to be found and to be spiritually one with the Lord is an incredible thing for which we ought to never cease giving thanks and praise. I'd like to address a topic that has been on my mind for quite a long time and have been looking for what is hopefully the right time to present it. And it's a topic that will take more than one presentation. It applies to everybody in one way or another. Some of you, it's going to be more past tense. Some of you, it is going to be very current, and some of it is future. But we all grow up in, <clears throat> in families, and this is addressing things that happen within our families. So if you've been to school... You have probably encountered things like this. They're called books. Well, all of these just happen to be on a similar topic. And since you probably can't see those very good, let's do this. You might be able to see it a little better. That's the same stack, essentially. I think there might be one additional one in there. Books on parenting raising children. So for all those of you that are either grandparents or old enough to be, uh, I would invite your collective wisdom to join in whatever this conversation might have to add. And I don't come as somebody who has it all figured out. I do admit that uh, it's as you go through life and the different phases of child raising, you see some things differently, and in hindsight, you see things you would have liked to have done better or maybe not done at all, and yet the truth of God's principles, they endure and they stand. So the truth is that a young person who never raised a child could teach truth about child raising because God's ways work, and it, it's not something that has to be you have to have experience to do it because every parent goes into it completely unexperienced. Well, in that way anyhow. Some of us raised a bunch of cane-raising boys in the woods and some at an orphanage and maybe others at a children's home or nieces and nephews or whatever, but it is always new when you have your own children and everybody has to learn. So I come to you with this idea of help. <laughs> we all need it. And the good news is that there is help available. In fact, when I was thinking about this stack, 
we really need to do one more thing. We need to do this. Because without the Bible, that stack of books is incomplete. And it's not a manual on every little detail of how to raise a child, but it is the source book from which all other things ought to flow. And particularly in knowledge of of how to interact with people and how to uh, gauge our value systems. You know, one of the things I did just for fun was I typed in how to raise a child on Google. Uh, Don't follow that, please. (laughs) But there are a lot of ideas out there that are not rooted in the word of God and God's ways. And I think sometimes we might get influenced by some of those thoughts. Culture just has them there. And what my uh, aim in this series of messages is to come back and to look at what are some biblical things that we need to apply as we think about raising children, raising our families well. Incidentally, in that stack of books, I would not agree with everything in all of them. Uh, Some of these books, some of you are going to say, I don't like that author, I don't like some of that content. That's okay. Uh, Actually, one of the most crusty authors in that list uh, has some very good basic points that are worth listening to. one of the best spoken authors in that list, I think misses some very key points, but says some other things that are very good. Another book in this list, Parent Fuel. I don't know how many of you have that or have read that, but that is an excellent book for talking about how to inspire your children to do what John was talking about this morning, love the Lord your God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he uses the analogy of how to fuel the fire in a child's life to point them to Christ and to serve the Lord in the way that uh, you ought to. Another, uh, another book that's very old that I actually am just recently introduced to, thanks to Dean, uh, yesterday I actually borrowed it from him. It's the top one there on the picture, and you can't read the, the subtitle well, it's faint, but Practical Pointers for Training Your Child. It's written by a person who was raised in India on the mission field and came back during World War II. Not sure how old he was when he came back, but it's an older book that CLP published. I'm not sure if it's in print anymore or not, but a very good practical guide to what do you do in the process of raising children. So maybe enough about books. Uh, If you have, you'd like to borrow some, uh, you're more than welcome to... Uh, talk to me about that. Most of these come from my own library. A couple of them came out of the church library. They originated from mine, but they got placed in the church's collection. So uh, invite you to, to borrow any of these that you would like. What parents owe their children? This does not come from one specific scripture. It comes from a variety of scriptures. And I hope that all of it is biblical, that all of it is God-honoring. As I said earlier, God's ways do work. Uh, Credit for the title goes to John Maxwell. 
Quite a number of years ago, I came across that title, borrowed a few thoughts from sermons he preached on it, but much of what is here has been developed out of my own study. Uh, But I just love that title because as parents, we do owe things to our children. And while culture would tell us that it might be money or education or prestige or just making them happy, Uh, I'm going to say that the Bible says something else. The Bible says there's things that are much more important that we owe to our children. So I'm going to spend just a little time. Incidentally, I have way too much material, so I don't know exactly where the stopping point is today. I do expect that it will be at least three sermons in this series and maybe four. We'll see how far we get today. You all didn't testify long enough to uh, cut me real short, so uh, you'll have to listen to me just a little bit longer today, but we'll see where we go today. But what I want to do first is just talk about what's a good foundation. And the thought that inspired the first one here for me came from Parent Fuel. Uh, Barry St. Clair was talking about, early on in his book, he talks about The goal for us as followers of Christ is that we want to teach our children to be followers of Christ and to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I have a picture here. I don't think you'll be able to read it real well, but he tells a story. It's called Lean Against the Right, Lean the Ladder Against the Right Wall. And the thought that he has in this paragraph is he says, I should just read part of it here. What can I do to make sure my children turn out right? Parents ask me all the time. And my response, wrong question. That question leans the ladder against the wrong wall. Picture yourself climbing a ladder to get to something, but you cannot get it because you position the ladder in the wrong place. Most parents lean their ladders against the wall of performance. Ours and our children's. Parents try to measure up to certain external expectations that we then internalize, like set a good example for your kids, or we expect our children to measure up to external standards that we deem important, like get all A's. These external expectations lead both parents and children to climb the ladder of extrinsic motivation. At the top of that ladder, we find superficial self-image and behavior based on other people's approval. Leaning the ladder against the wrong wall, asking the wrong question, gives the wrong result. So let's lean the ladder against the right wall. How can I help my children love Jesus more? That is the right question, the right wall. Now picture yourself climbing a ladder, knowing that as you climb that ladder, you will take, that ladder will take you to exactly the right place. And I'll stop reading there, but I think that is a perfect backdrop. If we color everything we do with our children with that idea of, I have my ladder leaned on the right wall, and it's how do I teach my children to love Jesus more? It begins to undergird so many other things that have to happen in the hard work of raising children. 
John already read the Luke passage, but I have in my notes the Matthew 22 version of those same verses when Jesus said, what's most important is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So that's the first goal. Be active in parenting. 1 Timothy 3, uh, two verses there. It's actually in qualifications for church leaders, but it describes them as ruling his own house well, having his children in subjection. That's repeated in verses 4 and verse 12. Husbands and fathers are to be active in parenting. They're to be spiritual leaders in the home, actively involved in the parenting process. And I'm going to make a statement I don't have on the screen that I hope you all remember because I believe it is very critical. Passive dads contribute to problems in the home. Involved dads become part of the solution to problems in the home. It's easy for us as men to go off and make the living. Mom's got the children. She's doing the grunt work through the day. And we have to be quite intentional about how we involve ourselves with our families. And I, and I, would, I should say this, is that the basic framework of this message has been in place, and some of you have heard it before, maybe a couple of times over the years. But as I revisit it, I'm getting convicted myself of, hey, there's things I want to do better right now, even in this stage of parenting, that uh, this very much applies to me as well. Provide for the needs of the family. 1 Timothy 5.8, if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Fathers, we have to provide for our family, not only in the physical needs, but in the spiritual and emotional needs as well. They're just as vital as the food and clothes and the shelter that we provide for physical life. There's things we need to provide for their spiritual and emotional well-being. As dads, we can help create a secure environment where love, trust, and peace flourish. There's positive communication. There's emotional health. Promotes healthy self-esteem. We're very selfish by nature. Children have to be guided in, in how to have a healthy view of themselves. When they start, their whole world revolves around them. They don't know anything else. They have to be guided to learn that the universe is much larger than their little two feet of space that they occupy. Uh, and it has to be guided. But in doing that, their value is not diminished. It's just guided. There needs to be a correct and a healthy self-esteem and self-view. So fathers, we're responsible for the health of the home. Not just a contributing factor, but we're the anchor of it in God's design and command. And I have... Here in uh, the next point, have your hearts at home. The verse in Matthew or Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, in talking about what God is going to do with his people, he says, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. 
there's a connection that happens when things are being done God's way. And children and dads have that connection. I'm going to say they do with moms too, but it's specifically addressing the father's role here. So what does that mean to have your heart at home, to have my heart turned towards my children? I think we can just explore that a little by asking ourselves some questions. Where is your heart? Where's my heart? Do I want to be with my children? Do I look for ways to get away from them or to stay away from home? How much time do I spend with them? Are my activities self-focused or family-oriented? We're doing Christian family, a Christian family class for the youth right now, and uh, I got a little feedback after one class that I probably ought to clarify at this point. And it had to do with uh, hobbies that men have. And I made a statement, something to the effect of that when you get married, you need to be willing to give up your self-interests and personal interests for the good of the family. And I think I maybe came across in a way that would have said that I didn't think you should have any hobbies. I think you should have hobbies. But here's the thing I also think that's true along with that. I say it tongue-in-cheek, but when you get married, you give up rights to half of your schedule, and when you get, have children, you get rid of the second half of that. And there's an element of that that is very true because that has become your life mission and focus. Your children and family become the primary thing, and yeah, you need some hobbies to keep yourself charged up. It's not that life is no longer enjoyable, but there is the element, too, of where that very much takes a second seat. And I'm now not just a selfish man. I've got a wife I've committed my life to. I've got children I've brought into the world. I'm responsible for them. Nobody else is responsible in the same way. They're mine, and that is my job. And when that happens, there's a lot of my self-interest that just has to go bye-bye. And there might be time when it can come back. For me, that happens some. I didn't do this perfectly. Uh, but my children don't require the amount of attention they did 10 and 15 years ago. And that allows for more hobby time, free time, things that I have at my own discretion. So I want to urge you all in that. I hope I'm coming across in a, the, a balanced way where, yeah, we need some rechargers. But the truth is, we've taken on a big task when we say, I do, to our wives. And then we have children. They are ours to raise for the Lord. Same questions we should ask for moms. Where's your heart? Is it turned towards your family? Do you support your husbands as they lead the family? Twenty nineteen went by in a flash. My first little baby is now sitting in the fourth pew with a husband. That went by in almost as fast a flash. Parents, you don't have that much time. It's time, but it goes quickly. 
use it well. Turn your hearts to your family. One other piece of this I would like to talk about. I feel so blessed in that I married a lady who did this very well, creating positive emotional energy in the home. And what I'm talking about, uh, maybe I should illustrate it this way. How many of you are familiar with the book Love and Respect, a book on marriage? See some hands. I see a lot of hands. Good. Within that book, you might remember what he describes as the crazy cycle in which instead of love and respect, you have disrespect and a a lack of love that one feeds the other. And it creates this negative emotion and negative uh, living that happens, relationships that happen within the relationship. That same kind of thing happens with our children. We can create crazy cycles where it's a negative spinning of one thing feeds another. And, oh, man, it is so hard to stop that sometimes. But when we begin to build and we say, no, we're not going down the road of the crazy cycle that takes us in a hole and a misery. Instead, we are going to create a cycle of love and respect and enjoyment. And I like being with you. I love being at home. Life is fun. Let's see what we can do today. And even the drudgery of school can be fun. I remember when I was in training for being a chief, our director and one of the staff trainings we did, Ken Edgar, uh, he, was, he made a big point out of how you can take a boy that is living in the woods, at home, life's a mess, he can't function. He said, you'd be surprised how much you can learn out of an old cow pie. And sure enough, on the way from our campsite back to Granddad's Lake where we would sometimes fish, we had to walk through a cow pasture, and I decided I'm going to try it. And sure enough, I got the boys interested in a cow pie because you learn about all kinds of stuff. You learn about digestion. You learn about what the cow ate. You learn about what's happening in the pasture. You learn about what's decomposing. You learn a lot from a cow pie. Things live under cow pies. I'm just saying life can be fun in even the most mundane and sometimes, and forgive me, that's maybe kind of an unpleasant thing. I hope I didn't ruin anybody's lunch here, but that, that is just life. Some of life is not very pretty. But if we as parents come at it and we say, I am going to put positive emotional energy into the lives of my children, I am going to do what I can to make life enjoyable means I have to get in there and make it fun. I might have to smile when I really don't feel like it. I might have to put forth some effort to how am I going to make this fun. But it can happen, and it is well worth it. We end up with loving, respectful relationships. One of the things I ought to mention here with this emotional well-being and positive emotional energy Some of the safety trainings that I've done over the years, I worked with hazardous materials for over 20 years and had numerous safety trainings with that. Some of you will identify with this. If you've ever flown on an airplane, you see the same kind of thing. What do they tell you 
if they say there's an emergency and the oxygen cups drop out of the ceiling, they tell you to put it on first and then with the people you're responsible for. It's a little bit the same way in parenting. You have got to take care of your own emotional well-being, not at the expense of your charges, but so that you can discharge your duties faithfully. So do the things that are required for you. Take that quiet time with the Lord. Take the time with your spouse. I was reminded of uh, Stephen Annie Chapman's song, Before There Was You. It's a fun little song that they wrote uh, talking about what happens when mom and dad go out on a date and the children get left with the babysitter and they don't like that. They want to go with mom and dad. And the song's written from the father's perspective where he just says, she was my sweetheart before there was you. And she is the one that's important to the husband. Those kinds of emotional connections have to happen for the well-being of the children. So take care of yourself so that you can take care of your children. We're going to get to this a little later, but one thing that happens there, this is part of that positive emotional energy. Do you know that children want to please their parents? Sometimes it does not seem like it, but that is inborn in them, and you can unlock that. And when you tap into that and they want to please mom and dad, they're having a good time with mom and dad, that is very possible. I've seen that many times. Loving, respectful relationships. Ephesians 5, uh, that's the words in the marriage context of love and respect, love and submission in the King James, but that is very effective in the way we raise our children. And you know, the way that we, the environment in which we raise our children will shape much of the way that they look at authorities in life. Because mom and dad, they're the adults in the room, they're the authorities. The way that they respond to their authorities and the kind of people they are as authorities helps to shape what the children think of their authorities, including God. We are a representation of the Lord to our children. We are their little God, if you know what I mean. We are the person in charge and control of their life. We need to represent that well. And we do it imperfectly but we continue to work towards that. We teach verbally and by example. Consistent life values must be evidenced. And the last one is a good foundation. Uh, this must be a big house. We had a long foundation here, but I think this is so important. One of the things we talk about in <clears throat> Christian family living and... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> And in the premarital counseling I do is that stereotypically opposites attract. That's fine. But there's some things in marriage you can't afford a major difference on. You have got to be together. Parents are a team. Core values is one of those things that you cannot afford to be different on. You have got to be the same. You've got to be together. And when you bump into those things where you're not on the same page, 
it's one of the helpful things about discussing this ahead of marriage. It's the reason for courtship. It's the reason for discovering, what, am I compatible? Are our beliefs and values and goals in life compatible? Once you're in, it's for life, and you've got to figure it out. And there's t- <clears throat> times when you have to find a way to come together, even when that's not exactly the way you would have preferred it, but you're a team. And so approach it that way. Children can tell when the team's not together. And uh, their carnal little nature will like to put a divide in that space if you let there be a space. They'll try to push it apart. Don't let them do that. Uh, Stay together as parents. You are a team. So uh, as you wrap up here, we've got people of all sorts in this room that are at different stages relating to that. Some of us have kind of been there and done that for the little ones. We're raising older children, or not really raising them. We're just walking life with them now. Uh, Some of you are right in the thick of raising children, and it's hard work. And I just want to tell you, this is designed to encourage everybody here. For those of us that have children, maybe they're grown. Let's relate to them well. Let's keep finding ways to be a good parent in a different season of life. For those of you that are doing all the hard work of raising the little ones, and maybe you feel like you're struggling with it, don't be discouraged. Uh, Just recognize it for what it is and take heart that the Lord's ways work. And let's push towards the Lord and let's do it his way. Uh, So don't look at anything I say as something that's discouraging or it's in no way intended to be demeaning to anybody. If you're a future parent, Remember what you can and go back and learn later. There's young people here, they're not even thinking about marriage. I mean, uh, the idea of getting married is like, you know. But, you know, someday life goes on, might be a parent. And these things are important. Come back and remember those. I have five things that parents owe their children. And I think due to time, we're going to go with one today. I was going to do two. We're going to do number two next time. So the first one in five things that parents owe their children is love. Number two that I was going to get to is training and discipline. But there's a lot of material there, and there's no way that I can sensibly cover the first two points. So we'll do the first one today and come back next week for the second part of this. I think that these first two that I've mentioned, love and uh, training, discipline, those two things, they are kind of the umbrella that sets the stage for numbers three through five. They, They come underneath what happens here. So I start with love because that is where our relationship with our children has to begin. Now, we already set the stage with that good foundation. All that stuff's there, but now we're starting to talk about some of the practical. How, how do I interact? And love is where it has to be. The, the relationship with our children has to be from a vantage point of love. In fact, if you look at Titus 2, verses 3 and 4, it's interesting that one of the things the older women are to teach the younger 
It says to love their husbands and to love their children. This is, this is critical in that, uh, in this whole thing of the hard work. I don't, if you're a young parent in the grind of it right now, yes, we dearly love our children, but there are times when they're frustrating. It's not all easy, and we have to push through that with love. We do that with unconditional love. We love the child just because, just because they're ours. We value the child regardless of perspective or circumstance. That's what unconditional love is, and that's what we're called to do. The value of children is greater than any earthly treasure or investment. You know, dads, we go off and, and we work to provide for our families. We hope to maybe have a little something to live on in our older years. We have to have vehicles that work. We have to have tools that function. We put a lot of time into that. Some people get into investing and they think a lot about how, what building shall I buy? What investment shall I put money into? What's a good thing to, to invest my money? Well, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing better that you could put money into than your children. You talk about a long-term investment. You have just been responsible for bringing up an eternal being. That's long-term. This is not a short-term investment where I just do a little something and hope it works. Yeah, time is limited how long I can really influence it. It changes, but this is a long-term investment that's being made, and it is well worth. I would rather get to the end of life poor with children that are solidly serving the Lord, and I've invested my life in it, than to get to the end of life with children that are distant, wandering about in life's journey, and I've got everything I need temporally. The trade-off isn't even a discussion for me. Unconditional love. Mention investments. People often look at rate of return, and they look at risk. They look at future value or reward. And I think you can apply those things to raising children. The, the, uh, the return, the potential return is incredible. I won't go into the stories that you all have probably seen, but if you go back in history and you look at some genealogies of people who made good life choices and they ended up with high-functioning children in society following the Lord, part of the church, part of God's kingdom, uh, for generations, a huge influence for good. And then you go back to some people who chose lives of crime, and you look at the statistics of how many people in their descendants ended up following the same way, ended up in prison, ended up with all kinds of dysfunction. Those stories are there if you want to find them. So we have a possibility of a high return for that investment. The risk, risk of living life is pretty high. It's kind of risky to be alive in more than one way. 100% uh, chance of dying unless the Lord comes back. Uh, so the question is, what do we do with the in-between? How do we raise the next generation? 
and the reward is just incredible for having raised the family well. Get to spend eternity with them in the presence of Jesus. Nothing could be better than that. We first have unconditional love. We have expressed love. Something I've observed in generational differences. I'm very happy to have mom here with me. My mother's 88 and she's getting to spend several weeks here in our home. And that's a real treasure to have her with us and to be able to be here. But one of the things that I observe in the home in which I was raised, and this is not a criticism of mom and dad, or my grandpa and grandma on either side of the family, but I observe that culture and society changes our norms of relating. Information has become much more uh, readily available. We communicate at a higher level. Uh, in fact, in, in, as I was getting ready for the message, I read one story in which uh, they were reflecting on how it was when, I think this would have probably been somewhere in the mid-1900s, where there was, a, there was a discussion going on between a father and a son, and the son was opening up about a struggle he was having with someone else, and the dad was just, the, all he did was this. And the son instantly knew that was off limits. He couldn't talk about it. The dad didn't verbalize anything. It was just shaking a finger, no. And I think that stereotypically, that's a little bit more the way the generations in the early 1900s coming up through, well, I was born in the 60s, uh, up through that, that would have stereotyped the way a lot of people would have been raised is that there was not the, the high level of communication that we idealize today. They weren't raised with it. They didn't know how. And it wasn't that they were bad parents. But times have changed and we have a lot of opportunity to express. So one of the things that's been fun, uh, fun for me, is that mom and dad and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Mom. When I was young, we didn't verbalize a lot of I love yous. But as I got older, I said, that's something I want to do with Mom and Dad. So it probably still didn't happen like it ought to. This month marks 10 years since Dad passed away. And one of the things that in, in his later years that I made sure that I said was, Dad, I love you. Call him on the phone. He was in Colorado. He was in Kansas. I'm down here. Let's love you, Dad. And now I get to do that with Mom. If you're one of those people that doesn't verbalize that easy, what are you scared of? It's a good thing to say. It won't hurt. Stretch yourself a little. Verbalize it while you have a chance. It's a good thing to do. Verbal, expressed love. Love and lifestyle.
show you a slide here that comes from Shepherding Your Child's Heart, another excellent book in this stack. Stephen Terry Maxwell. Do you want a relationship with your children? This is love and lifestyle. Spend time with them, smile, praise, have conversation, extend forgiveness, and I should probably say ask forgiveness. As a parent, you're gonna fail. Ask your children's forgiveness. They won't think any less of you. They'll just be glad you were finally honest. They knew you were wrong anyway. Overcome anger. There's a scripture that talks about that in uh, Colossians 3.21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. It's so easy for us to to become angry. Some of our personalities do that very naturally. I'm one of those. It's something the Lord has had to work on in my life. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Don't want to discourage them. Overcome anger. You know, we are a representation of God to our children, and that's one of the ways that we shape children. If our responses to our children are angry, they will tend to look at God as an angry God. If we look at, if we represent to our children love and patience, and I'm not saying don't be strict or firm, I'm saying don't be angry. Don't treat them in anger. They do need boundaries, they do need strictness, but with love, that's the representation that we should have to our children. Ways that we provoke our children to anger or to discouragement, can be insensitivity to the child, can ignore, neglect, not care for them. It creates emotional damage. We can over-control a child. That's stifling and it frequently leads to rebellion. Uh, there's a book in my stack here called Jumping Ship. There's another book, uh, Already Gone. It addresses what happens. One of them specifically addresses what they saw happening in the homeschool movement in the last 25 years where they were raised children were raised in very very strict but unfortunately not so loving homes and when they turned in their upper teenage years they bailed out they'd had enough of that and I didn't see that happening so much in the circles I was in but there was this book is written from the perspective of what happened in the greater evangelical church in America that's over-controlling. Under-controlling a child. It's not enough structure. It breeds insecurity and selfishness. Uh, they just get to do what they want. They do need structure. These are all ways that we can provoke our children to frustration. Inconsistency in the Christian life. Hypocrisy leads to loss of respect. In fact, the book Jumping Ship says that's the number one reason that children bail on their parents is when they observe and they've lived under hypocritical lifestyles. So let's nurture and instruct our children in the way of the Lord. That's the uh, thought I had that here in my notes. I'm not seeing it. <clears throat> but we are, we are to take our children and to raise them well where we we bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, that's in Ephesians 6. I have the Colossians passage on here. Ephesians 6 is similar. 
And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I'm going to pause there, but this nurture and admonition is something where we come around our children. It, it's, it's a, we're having a good time with them. We care about them. If you've ever tried to if you're, if you're an animal lover, you might know what I'm talking about. You get these little critters that are born, and sometimes they need just a little bit of help and nurturing along. If you're a gardener, you might know what starting plants is like. You've got to do the right things so that they grow properly. That's what our children are. We need to do those right things to help them uh, grow up in the Lord. So I'm going to pause there. There's, there's more that I would like to say. I'm going to wrap it up with this this morning. I have a whole page of scriptures. I'm not going to put you through them, but I'm going to say this. We are a representation of God in the way that we are good. God is a good God. Our goodness, Luke 11, uh, Jesus talks about that. He says, if you then being evil, your carnal parents, how much more will the good heavenly Father do this? God does it so much better than we do. God's chastening. Uh, Hebrews 12, I'm going to show that passage next time. But it talks about the way God disciplines his children. We are to do that in the same way, with the same attitudes that God would do it. God's mercy and love. Psalm 103, like as a father pitieth his children, the Lord pities them that fear him. Are you a merciful father? And I'm not talking about that's all you are. I'm talking about, are you a kind, merciful, loving father that, that loves and disciplines well? It's a blend of all that. I thank the Lord for his word. There's so much more to be said. And I hope that as you, whatever stage you are at in your life, that you will take heart, do it's God's way. Raising a family is very hard work, and I would never want to diminish the difficulty that people find in the struggle engaged in it, but it also has great rewards. It's a long-term investment. Let's invest wisely. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for the encouragement that we have to do things your way, that you have not left us without instruction you've not left left us without guidance and i just pray for every family here that they would be able to <clears throat> function together well for the parents to raise the children well to guide them well for the children <clears throat> especially the older children i just pray that they would respond well to their parents as they grow up to be adults that they would learn from the mistakes that we as parents make but to cooperate, to live, to love well in the family unit. And Lord, we just cry out to you for help that our families would represent your kingdom, your family well. Where there's dysfunction, give us wisdom and health and strength. Where we lack wisdom, answer our prayer for wisdom. We need it. And give us the insights to love and lead our families in the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen.